All right, here we go. All right, so this passage, again, reminds me, I, I, there's something to be taken from it every single week. Um, the thing that jumps out to me is I think about Joseph and I think about Joshua. Remember how the Bible says that the two of those guys, they trusted in God and that God made everything that they did succeed? What an awesome thing that is. Listen to these words again. Praise the Lord, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. Their children will be what? Successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. Do you guys know what the uh, purpose of Lads the Leaders was? Anybody? Wesley, don't make me call on you. You're our Lads the Leaders guru. You better tell me. What is it that Lads the Leaders was meant for? To do what? Okay, take our children and develop them into leaders. I had the privilege slash frightening experience of flying in a plane with Jack Zorn one time. Many, many years ago, I was in Montgomery. He was going to go to a funeral. It was out of town. He needed to get there quickly, so he it was, was a pilot, and he was going to fly and came by our church office, which is right next to the last leader's office in Montgomery, and said, I need someone to drive me, go with me to that uh, funeral but I've got to get back quicker than I can drive back. And said, I'm looking for someone to fly with me. And I was like, well, okay, I'll do that. I had no idea what in the world I was doing, okay? But I got in this plane with him, and Jack Zorn, brilliant as far as his vision, kooky dude, all right? <laughs> uh, little kooky, like his eyebrows were talking to me. Like he, 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 was a, he, was a, he was something special. Anyway, so we, were, we get into this little single prop plane, all right, and we're flying, I think it was to Tallahassee, okay, and I said, well, where are you going to land this plane? I'll, he said, I'll find somewhere, <laughs> and sure enough, we found a cornfield, and he just buried that plane right in the middle of that field, and we walked about a half a mile to the church building where the funeral was and walked back and flew back. In the process, there was a lot of scary times, okay, but also... But also, I got to ask him a lot of questions just about Lads the Leaders. And one of the things that jumped out to me is because we always think of Lads the Leaders as being something where we take our children and we develop them into leaders in the church, right? We, we want elders and deacons and ministers, and we want song leaders and Bible class teachers and people who can stand up and make presentations, okay? Uh, but he actually said that's actually not why it started. He had a bigger vision. His vision was... Why is it that in our world there are no members of the church leading our nation? You get what I'm saying? He was looking beyond the influence of the church. He had thought that would happen by proxy, but the idea was to develop leadership abilities, being able to stand up and present, articulate, being able to say things in a powerful way persuasively, that those would be the people that would be leading not just your PTAs, but your city councils be mayors, be representatives, be president. And I'm wondering, as I think about that, how limited have we been in our vision for our children? Like, where do we, we say you can do anything you want to do, which is not always true. But we say that to our kids because we want them to dream big dreams, right? And we want to nurture those dreams. But where are our, where, where's our ceiling for them? I mean, do we look at their GPAs right now? 
and say, well, that's, that's about it. <laughs> right there is, you know what I mean? I mean, some of us, we may have that, okay? Some of you are going, oh, my kid's brilliant, and they're going to be president of the United States one day. You know, maybe, maybe. But I'm asking us, where do we want to take our children? But forget even about what you want them to do for a career and for their job and those kinds of things. What kind of husband and wife do you want them to be? What kind of leader in their home do you want them to be? What kind of person do you want them to be in their core and in their heart? That's really what this class is about. We can talk about all of these things and give you biblical answers one right after the other. And I feel comfortable with that because that's what God says to us. But it's up to us to take those principles and push them into their hearts as a relationship with God. So they're not just following the rules. They're actually falling in love with God. And in that process, allowing God to work on them and make them. He says that people who obey his commands and fear him are going to be successful everywhere. And we may think that's not the case in our world today. But if God promises it, who are we to deny that? Do you not see in our current society the need for someone who has a sensible head on their shoulders? For someone who speaks morality? <laughs> for someone who has kind of a, an ability to stand up and really say what needs to be said? For someone who in the moment has the difficult situation in front of them and they turn right to the Scriptures and they go, you know, this is what I believe God is telling us to do, and they respond and they react that way. How awesome would that be? And I know some people wouldn't like it, but wouldn't the world rise up to support somebody who could do that these days? It just feels like we're struggling in that department. We either have people who are way unhinged and saying things that are crazy, or we have people on the opposite side that are way unhinged and saying crazy things. And there's something about what God has given us that is very sensible and reasonable and responsible. And so we have a responsibility to embed that in the hearts of our children. All right, I'm going to kind of run through these real quickly. Last week we talked about this. What are some things that we need to be doing? We need to talk about faith-building proofs of God. We talked about that ex uh, exactly, about how we can look at creation. We can look at all things that are created, and we can find some really intricacies in it that demonstrate God's design. I won't get into any more of that, but there are lots of ways that we can see God at work in this world. We need to talk to our children about that relationship aspect of it, that God loves them, that he wants what's best for them, that he is going to take them, even when they're going through tough times, and he's going to carry them through those things if they trust in him. Uh, we need to repeat the words of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 to them over and over again, that you're not going to always know what God is doing in your life, but you just keep trusting, and you know that he's going to take care of things. And then uh, Psalm 23, we talked about this, how... We want them to kind of see God as David saw him. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I, he's got me. He's ever-present. He's always going to be there for me. He's going to take care of me, provide for my needs. He's going to watch out for me. But more than anything, I have a relationship with him. All right, so we talked a little bit about this last time. But I think this is important because we're going to get into, like, sin and how it affects us and how it disrupts that relationship with God so I think it's important that we begin with the idea that God wants a relationship with us and that we have blessings as a result of following him. So John 14, 23 and 24, I'm not going to read these, but ultimately what John 14 says is that when we obey his commands, 
It says God takes residence in us. I love that. Talk to your kids about God being with them. Because when they obey him, he says God is going to be there for them. Matthew 6, 33 talks about taking care of the needs. Seek ye first kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added. Lamentations 3, 22, what does it say? Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, right? His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And it just talks about the provision that God gives us. John 3, 16 and 17. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I love this next part. We often leave it off. But God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Remember that. Too often we get into the rules and the following all these things that, you know, it's about being axed and cut off. And we'll talk about those things here in just a few moments. Okay? But that's not why Jesus came. He actually came to rescue us from all of that darkness. And they need to know that. Romans 10, in that passage, verses 8 through 7, a lot of different things. But one of them is that God is going to be there with you through all of it. So let's remind our kids of that. And then talk to them about what, it, what temptations are. You know, if you go back to the garden, it wasn't that the, the, the devil tempted them with something that they weren't interested in. He gave them something that was attractive. Talk to your children right now about how the devil works. It's, you know, the, the devil puts something attractive in front of you, uh, something that will be appealing to you, something that is custom-made for you, that your desires are kind of bent that way. And it's up to us to stay strong in those times. All right, so we talked about those things. Let's get into this. I think we do need to define what sin is for our children. Now, why would we need to define what sin is for our children? To have an understanding of what sin is. Why did Jesus come? To take away our sins, right? So, you know, our children sometimes may not even know that they're doing something wrong. Uh, Sometimes it's the identifying of that that allows them to recognize, oh, that's something I don't need to do again because that's not honoring God. So let's talk about what sin is. First one is someone who chooses against God's law is called a transgressor. Okay, so 1 Timothy 2.14, Romans 5.12, use this word. And it says a person who is a transgressor commits sin. All right? Other, other words that are used as far as transgression goes, um, what it really means is a breach of a relationship, to step across the line to rebel. So imagine that, that God has us in this relationship and there's this big circle around us. And while in that circle we're enjoying this fellowship with him, and it's us rebelling to the point where we're saying, okay, and we push God away and we step across that line. That's kind of the visual imagery here. It's the breach of that relationship. It's running across that line. Psalm 36, 1 uh, is, a, is a good passage. We could probably read probably the first six or eight verses on that one. Uh, in fact, let's do that. Who's got Psalm 36? Listen to what transgression does. Someone read it for me. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Keep going, keep reading. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and takes 
Okay, time out. Let's start right there. Just think about that, that idea, that stepping across the line, almost like the idea that, that God is oblivious to what's going on. You know, because we can't see God sometimes, we, we're not capable of grasping His omnipresence, His ability to see and to, to know everything that's going on in our lives. And so we, the person who is transgressing ultimately in that pattern of, of mindset begins to think in terms of God is not seeing this because I'm getting away with these things. And it's kind of like our children. If they get away with sneaking around doing something, they're going to keep doing that until we finally come in and step into the situation. I'll keep reading. Okay, time out. Almost like idle time, right? Like he's just laying in bed, like dreaming up all the th- terrible things that he can do, right? Keep reading. Okay, that's good. All right. I guess what I'm saying is there's kind of a, 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 a pattern that takes place when we begin to transgress. And that relationship is broken. We begin to keep moving further away. All right. Next one is sin. And this idea is to miss the mark. And really this, I won't read this, but this is the story of Cain and Abel. And Cain realizes that his, his sacrifice was not pleasing to God. And do you remember what, what God says to him? He says, you know, do the right thing. If you do the right thing, that's great. But if not, what does he say? Sin is crouching at the door. <laughs> What's he saying? Hey, you're going to miss, you're going to miss the mark here. If you, don't, if you don't listen to this instruction, if you don't recognize that, that I need exactly what I've asked for, then you're sinning by doing that. Sinning is right around the corner. Then the word for iniquity. And this is one that I think is, is really important because this is sort of a willful deception type thing. So it means to literally to bend or to make crooked or a perversion. You know, this word is used multiple times in Exodus 25. It, it talks about how you shouldn't, you know, bow down before anything else. And, of course, as Moses is up there getting these Ten Commandments, and as he comes down, what's happening? You know, they're fashioning a golden calf. They're doing all this stuff. They took something that was holy, which was worship, and they were, they were twisting it. They were bending it to do something that they knew they shouldn't be doing. Okay, I'll, I'll be a confessor, okay? When I was in high school, I would ask my parents, can I go to so-and-so's house? And they would say, no. And then I would say, well, can I go to so-and-so's house? And they would say, yes. So what I would do, y'all are already ahead of me, (laughs) go to the house that I was allowed to go to, drive in the driveway, put it in park, put it out of park, reverse, drive back out, and then go where I wanted to go to begin with. Anybody going to confess with me? I mean, anybody? Nobody? Nobody? You're not willing. Some of y'all have parents in here, don't you? All right. All right. So I know what it means to make, to make crooked, okay? It's to take something that, that God has given us and to use it in a way that is not wholesome, okay? It's taking a beautiful woman for God. It's taking a beautiful woman that God has created and turning her into an object, object of sexuality, right? That's, that's taking something that God's given us and bending it to a perversion, using it in a way that's not God-honoring, right? We'll get to all that a little bit later, but I kind of wanted to go ahead and make that point now to remind us about that. And then lawlessness. 
Matthew 7. Turn there real quickly. The verse that I want to get to is the verse that says in verse 23, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Well, that's a scary thing to hear that Jesus would say to someone that, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But who's he talking about? So if you move up to verse 21, it's like, okay, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Okay, so now he's talking about people who have gone about doing the right things, or at least in their mind, they're doing the right. That's kind of scary, right? Back up a little further. Go to verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs or thistles? So, that, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. It's pretty amazing to me that what God is saying is we're all in a pretend world sometimes. That we got people all around us pretending to be something, but deep inside of them is quite the opposite. There's evil existing in there. So that's a reminder to all of us that we're being watched. And not in the fearful sense, but in the sense of, hey, we want to be pleasing to God. So there's a sense in which we have to recognize that what we're doing, what we're doing in action has to equate what's taking place already in here. You know what I mean? And can I tell you who the greatest radar detectors are of fake in this world? Somebody say cheerings. Children. Children know you're a faker. They know it. Right? They know when you come to church and you lead beautiful prayers, but you're screaming and using foul language at home, they know that something's not right. That, that, now, they're trying to figure out which one you are, but I'm going to tell you the one they're going to connect with most is the one that they have at home, right? And so this is really important for us. When God talks about lawlessness, he's talking about people who know what to do right, but they're, they're, not, they're not acting the way they should. Okay, they're, they're trying to say one thing, but they're not being what they need to be. And then the idea here is trespass. The trespass is, if you look up this word, it's really interesting. A misstep, a trip or a fall, or a lapse in judgment. Now, why am I showing you all of these deep words you're not going to tell your four-year-old? Why am I telling you these things? Because there's different aspects to sin, right? There's different ways to look at this. Your child is going to rebel sometimes. That needs a firm hand, right? But your child is going to miss the mark from time to time. Just not do 
maybe as well as they should have done. Maybe they didn't give their best effort, or maybe their attitude was just bad, or they're having a bad day and they're taking it out on other people. And they're mistreating folks, and you would say, hey, that's not good, you need to fix that. But there's a little bit of compassion and love understanding where they're coming from and what they're going through. But then there are times where your kid just has a moment of weakness, and they really don't intend on doing something sinful but they react and they respond. It's a misstep. It's a trip. It's a lapse in judgment. It's, that needs a little bit more patience. Does that make sense why I'm telling you all these things? Because sin separates us from God. We know that. That's one of the consequences. In fact, we'll go ahead and get there. I think that's the next slide. There are consequences about you know, choosing against God because all this, sin is choosing against God, but there are times where our kids are going to make mistakes and we need to be patient with them. Transgression requires a pardon. Iniquity, the Bible tells us, separates us from God. Lawlessness causes us to be strangers to God. The wages of sin, or what we get paid for our activities that are against God's will, is death. And that's tough. But we often forget the other side of that verse. For the wages of sin is death. Well, what's the rest of it? But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus, right? And I guess what I'm saying is we can get into all these consequences, but don't be short on talking to your children about the blessings of following God. The penalty of sin and disobedience is a, a sentence of eternal punishment. That's true. In Ephesians 2 it says you were dead in your trespasses, right? You were lost. You are without hope. And so there's a lot of passages. Jesus said, if you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's horrifying. If you don't believe that I am he, that I'm the one, you'll die in your sins. Second Thessalonians talks about what happens to those who don't obey the gospel and who don't turn their hearts to God. They don't believe in him or trust in him. You know, it's like flaming vengeance and fire and all those kinds of things. You know, the Bible talks about God being, you know, a consuming fire. And yet we also know that God is love. So we want to dissuade our children from falling away from God because that side of things is terrible, but we want to bring them back to the love that God has for them. And there's a day of judgment. Acts 17 says there's a day fixed. No one knows. There's a day fixed that he's going to come. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Romans 14.11, all of them talk about a day of judgment where we will stand before God. And it says, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Each one will give an account of himself before God, whether they've done good or whether they've done evil. Right? That's going to happen. Right? And those are the consequences against choosing against God. Well, why am I telling you this? Because we want our kids to recognize consequences. And that's really important. Uh, if we're not teaching them right and wrong, if we're not teaching them the yeses and the noes, then they're going to grow up into this world and haphazardly begin to engage in these things. And if we don't draw those lines early on, you know, we're, we're sending our kids to, like, a, a judgment. And I want to be able to stand before God one day and present my family with my knees shaking. They will be docking. I am confident in my salvation. I am confident that God has done what he said he's going to do through Jesus. I am confident in my baptism. I'm confident in my relationship with God. I never have doubted those things. But I can tell you when you're standing before God and you're answering for everything in your life, 
Even with Jesus at your side, there's going to be a moment where you go, wow, that's me, that picture of me, all those things. And yet Jesus is going to come to my side. He's going to wipe those away. So what am I trying to do? Tell them that there's only rescue in Jesus. We have to show this part of it in order for them to enjoy the blessing and the reality of what Jesus has provided for us. So those are the things that's in your book. I'm going to go through those, just more of this kind of stuff, just to remind us of what we hold on to. You know, the Bible talks about slavery and, and the burden. In fact, when we get into Hebrews chapter 13, you know, it says this, Since we have this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us or ensnares us, and let us run with patience the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We'll get into that later in our Hebrews study. So once we realize that, and all that sin does to take us away from God, that brings us to the grace, the blessing, the joy, and the love that we have for God because of what he did for us through Jesus. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He's wounded for our iniquities. And by his stripes we are healed. Now if you stop and just meditate upon that for just a few moments and you make it personal. You know, I shared with you guys that story last week of my conversation with Kenzie when I told her that Jesus had to die for her. And it hit her, hit her hard. And she said, I don't want Jesus to have to die for me. Like she felt like it was, even at that young age, she felt like it was her job to take care of herself. And it was interesting that when she realized what Jesus did for her, she broke into tears and those tears were of gratitude and appreciation and love. So while we were weak and covered in sin, this is all Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. Christ died for us. And because of the wrath of God is taken away, we can be justified and reconciled back to a relationship with God. And I love Ephesians 2, where it says we're saved by grace. It says you're saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So all of that misery, all that terrible thing that we find ourselves in, right? And folks, we need to be convicted of sin. But the blessing is that Jesus came and died for us and saved us. There's not a amount of good that we can do. It's just by God's grace through faith. And it says that we are his workmanship created by God in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's put in front of us. It's not about us doing the good works to achieve the salvation. It's about because of the salvation that we receive that we have an opportunity to do good works to glorify him. All right, so this was my dad's favorite verse growing up, and he used to quote it for, it all, quote it for us all the time. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Think about that. Who is that man that is not going to have his sin counted against him? It's going to be the one who has the blood of Jesus Christ. And so blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin or not count his sin. So through sacrifice and God's grace, we have access to the blood of Jesus, and it washes away our sins when we are buried with him in baptism. So these are not necessarily the things that I'm asking you to sit down with your children. I just want us to be reminded of their truth because that is what the devil is trying to take us to. 
That's ultimately where he wants us to be, is dismissing sin, looking the other way, not thinking it's significant. When they make us say, oh, wasn't that cute? Like those kinds of things over the long haul begin to diminish the ugliness of sin. And we hate it. I mean, I'm, I'm teaching this class right now feeling uncomfortable, talking about how awful this is. But that is what the devil is doing in this world all around us, and we have to stay on top of it. Because ultimately, if we don't teach our children and if we don't follow through on these things, we're going to allow them to slip into these awarenesses of other things that are not of God. And let me tell you, the more they're exposed to them, without correction, without us teaching them, without us warning them, they're going to fall into things that are going to take them away from God. And as harsh as that is for us to hear, it is a reminder for us to stay on top of these things. Now, so here's the simplicity of this. There's a God. He's our creator. We can have a relationship with him. The creator of the universe, we can have a relationship with him. Sin, though, and it's prevalent in this world, takes us away from him. Jesus' death is God's remedy for our sins. And our forgiveness and eternal life is contingent on our response to God's gift of salvation through Jesus' death and resurrection. Next week, we will get into how do I know when my child is kind of ready to make this next step. So we'll get into this next week uh, and finish up this part of the study. I really appreciate you guys and your patience. Now I know this is a different tone, you know, and it's intentional to just bring us to the significance and the seriousness of what is all around our children. All right, let's pray real quickly and I'll let you go. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your provision of salvation through Jesus. Father, help us uh, to not be asleep at the wheel. Help us to recognize the many ways that the devil is looking to get our attention and to get the attention of our children. Father, help us to not be afraid. Help us to realize that all of that power lies in you and that you have equipped us with every single thing that we need to combat the devil and to teach our kids and to implant in their hearts a love for you. But Lord, help us to realize the responsibility and to make every effort to do the very best we can to bring them closer to you. Help us, Father, to seize the opportunities that we have every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, thank you all so much.